Well, good morning again, church. I want to ask you to get your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. If you don't know where that is, you can use your table of contents in front of your Bible, and um, you can find it there. If you're using an electronic device, be sure you keep it on the Bible and not on Mario Kart, okay? So if you would please do that, we appreciate it so very much. Um, what is the biggest threat the biggest threat to your life right now. Um, I think most people probably think the worst enemy they're facing is COVID. Um, that's where our attention is. We talk about it. Uh, we worry about it. We run from each other about it. We, you know, all of those things. It's the, it's the talk. And um, not to belittle the... Um, the issue, it certainly is an important issue, but we tend to automatically think that the worst threat we have against ourselves is one that is merely outward and physical. But the Bible says that we face a threat that is much more dangerous than COVID. Yet, few people pay any attention at all to this threat. They see it as trivial, while the Bible sees it as ultimate. I'm just going to ask you to do something today. Same thing I ask you to do every Sunday. Change your thinking. Think biblically. Do not let your default setting always be to think physically or to think personally. Your thinking must be biblical thinking. And so with biblical thinking, it's not always this or that. Biblical thinking involves what is ultimate and what is the priority and then what is secondary. And you give secondary thinking to secondary issues. And you give primary thinking to ultimate issues. That's what the Bible would have us to do. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, what the Bible says is the ultimate threat against you in your life is this. this now, this is going to be anticlimactic for you. Are you ready? Unsound doctrine. False doctrine. Unbiblical doctrine. Unbiblical teaching is the number one biggest threat to you if you are a Christian. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know why people... Throw rocks through windows and burn down buildings? Did you know the reason why? It's faulty theology. Do you know why CRT and critical race theory and all that stuff is so rampant? It's faulty theology. If you think that the problems that we have in America are not theological, you are not thinking correctly. It's a theological problem. A misunderstanding about the nature of man. A willful blindness about the nature of man. It's all, it's all a theological problem. Every bit of it. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But it really is. And so, 1 Timothy here tells us as Christians, we have to be warned about, and we have to be aware of, and we actually have to resist false teaching among us. Now, let me help you with something here before I, we get very far. Okay. You as a Christian, and myself as a Christian, we have to differentiate here. We, we've got to make a distinction. Battling false 
doctrine is an in-house thing. It's among Christians. Do not go to your job tomorrow at Kenworth and try to fix everybody's doctrine. Please don't do that. Number one, they, you have no responsibility to them. They have no commitment to you, spiritually speaking. So please don't go do that. Do you know what they need there? The gospel. Do not get sidetracked on all the other things. They're going to say to you, uh, Brother, I don't know, you go to church, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. What's the difference between a Catholic and a Baptist? You know what your answer is? Truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. Don't get drawn into it. You stay focused upon the one thing that they need. See, that's what the Samaritan woman did. Do you remember that? She said, now, Jesus, I have a question for you. Now, some people say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, and some people say Mount Gerizim. What do you say? He said, you need to get saved, woman. See, that's your message for out there. So do not go out there and fight with your charismatic friends in front of all the lost people. Don't do it. It's just don't. It's bad. And I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, don't get on Twitter and do it either. Don't get on Facebook and do it either. Please do not do that. It is not the place for that. So when we're dealing with ourselves here, that's where we fight false doctrine. Okay? We're Southern Baptists. Among Southern Baptists, we fight false doctrine. In a secondary sense, those other congregations that would identify themselves as Christians, we try to help them fight, fight against false doctrine, right? As best as we can. And mostly we do that by showing the right example and teaching our people the right way. Okay, so that's what we do. But as far as people that do not know Christ, you're not there to correct their doctrine except the one doctrine they need to know. Unless you repent, you will perish. That's what they need to know. So give them that and stay on that. When I'm teaching people personal evangelism, I'm tell, I tell them, every person you run into now that's not a Christian suddenly becomes a theologian with all these deep theological questions. What is that? A smokescreen to get you off of Jesus. So be sure that when you're at work, you do that. Okay, so that's my caveat. I, I, wanted, that's the, that, I wanted you to get that clear. So what we're talking about this morning is among those who are professing Christians. Okay, and so what Paul is telling Timothy here about the church at Ephesus, listen, there are issues there. You're going to have to deal with it. And the, the issue that you have, one of the big issues that you have are false teachers. And so if you look, he says, uh, well, let me point out this to you, Timothy. First of all, the content of unhealthy teaching. And, and he says in verse 3 of chapter 6, look, look what he says there. If I can find the number 3, we'll be off to the races. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. So he's talking about here, how do you recognize what is false teaching? Now, one of the things that you need to do and I need to do constantly is study theology systematically. Just continue to do it. If you don't have a good systematic theology book, you need to get one as a Christian and just begin to study theology in an organized way. You should be doing two things as a Christian. One, reading the Bible for breadth, that is the whole thing. 
So read the whole thing. Now, some of you, like, man, it's going to take me four years to read the whole Bible. Well, then so be it. All right? Some people in here, you read the Bible through every year. I normally do, but sometimes I just read the New Testament. Sometimes I just the Old Testament, but I try to do that every year. So that's for the breadth of it. But you secondly need an organized way of studying the great doctrines that come from the Bible. And so a good systematic theology book will help you with that. And if you don't know what to do as far as that's concerned, listen, you have to understand no matter which uh, systematic theology book you get, there are going to be things in it that you disagree with. That's okay. That helps you to know what you believe. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of you have such thin skin that if somebody says something you don't quite agree with, you just throw them away like they're garbage. I would encourage you not to do that. Okay, you're, you're always going to have people that are really great Bible teachers and they're going to say a few things that you're like, yeah, I don't agree with that. It's not right. It's not biblical. It's always that way. But by and large, you look at what they say and you're like, hey, this is workable. This is helpful. And so I would encourage you to do that. And if you're interested in that, I'll, I'll give you a recommendation. Okay. So what is the content though? Here's what he says. The content of false teaching or unhealthy teaching is this. It contradicts the word of Christ. Did you see that? If anyone teaches a doctrine that is different, that a different doctrine, it does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it contradicts the word of Christ. Now the words different doctrine, it's really one word in the Greek and it's the word from which we get heterodoxy. You know what heterodoxy is? Heterodoxy means that which contradicts the orthodox teaching of Scripture. Now, let me help you with something here. I'm not talking about Eastern Orthodoxy when we talk about Orthodoxy. I'm not talking about a particular brand of Christianity. Orthodoxy means that which is true and biblical. So, this kind of teaching, when he says it's different, he doesn't mean additional or it's something like what I've been teaching you. He means it's something that contradicts what I've been teaching you. It contradicts God's word. Now, what do people usually contradict? The nature of God. That's a big one right now, by the way. The very nature of God is being batted around out there. Is, is, there's, a, there's a concept called open theism, meaning that God changes. God changes his mind. God is moved by emotions and so on and so forth. And so they have abandoned hundreds of years of Christianity in order to now present God as some kind of jello. And so those people have a problem. I mean, where does that stop? And does God actually grow from knowledge that He gets about us? <laughs> really? And so that's always under attack the nature of God, also the nature of Christ. You always have one of those come around every once in a while. And the issue is usually the, the deity of Christ. Most of the time it is, is, God, is Christ really God? Most people can accept the fact that Jesus Christ is man. Most of them can. But what this comes down is, can, is Jesus really God? And so that's, that always comes around in people's teachings. And we've had some battles with that here from time to time with individuals. The nature of the Holy Spirit, which you studied about the nature of the Holy Spirit today. I hope your Sunday school teacher presented the Holy Spirit as truly God and also a person and not a force. If your Sunday school teacher did not teach it that way, please see me afterwards. We will have them tied to the stake. Okay. Then the nature of man. I knew Mark guy would mess up. The nature of man. 
And so that comes around and people begin to teach different things about what is a human. And, and so that one is, and I'll tell you what's eroding it. And y'all, y'all going to bristle at this, but I don't really care. Um, one of the things that's eroding the right theology about the nature of man is all this emphasis on animals right now. Have you noticed they'll show these doggies and they put them on TV and they'll play Christmas music behind them and present that as if you are rescuing a human orphan. Do you know what that's doing? That's changing your mind about the elevated status of humanity. And it's elevating a mere animal as something that's on the same level. Those of you that are addicted to that kind of thing, I want to just encourage you to read the book of Genesis. Get your theology right about the nature of man. What that stuff does is it causes you not to have a soft heart toward lost and dying humanity and instead ramps up your emotions about doggies that are mistreated. Does the Bible say you ought to treat doggies right? Yes, it does. There is one good verse in there. And not only that, we are stewards and managers. It's poor management to treat pets the wrong way. It is. So it's just wrong. But they're not made in the image of God. You need to get that straightened out. And so that's one of the things the world does to you. They're always working that and working it so that humans will be devalued, made in the image of God, and other things will be valued or elevated. So be careful about it. So it's, it's about the nature of man. It's always under attack. What does God really say? What is real anthropology, by the way? That, the Bible has an answer for that. What man is, what humans are. And then the nature of salvation. How does a person come to know Christ? So heterodoxy is always coming up with a different answer for all of these things. Sometimes all at the same time. And they form a cult. But sometimes and usually most dangerously inside the Christian church. These things arise and they begin to be taught as some kind of new or novel teaching. And he says that these false teaching, this unhealthy teaching, it does not agree with. And the idea of agreement here is not just mental assent. It means that they, these ideas don't come over and join. In other words, they do not align with the words of our Savior. And he says that they do not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word sound there means healthy. It's the word from which we get our English word hygiene. What Jesus teaches is spiritually hygienic. But when we absorb false doctrine, it is bad spiritual hygiene and it's going to make you sick. It always does. Listen, deeds always follow doctrine. Whatever your doctrine is, the deeds will follow. And so when you allow sick teaching, sick doctrine to enter your soul, the deeds are going to follow. Now the word of the Lord here, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, does not refer primarily or only, exclusively I should say maybe, to just the quotes from Jesus out of the Gospels. The words of our Lord Jesus, this is the word of Christ, and that is the entire message of the Bible which is centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about the whole doctrine of Christ. And so what these people are teaching is not just the mere quotes of Jesus that are at at stake here, but it's the entirety of Scripture. 
So they're teaching a kind of teaching that contradicts the whole canon of Scripture, the whole overarching message of the Bible. And that overarching message of the Bible is simply this, Jesus saves. And they're contradicting it. They have all kinds of other things going on. So how do you know if it's unhealthy teaching? It contradicts the message about our Savior. It contradicts the whole dynamic of the Bible, which is centered upon Christ. And so it's a contradiction. It's on other things. You say, well, it's, it's not really. It's, they're still teaching about Jesus. Which Jesus? The Bible talks about people will come and present another gospel and another Jesus. So just saying the name Jesus doesn't make it so. You have to be astute enough in your doctrine that you can detect that what they're teaching is not the message of Christ as the Bible presents it. So how do you know if it's unhealthy teaching? It contradicts the word of Christ, the message about Jesus Christ. Secondly, it cannot produce godliness. The Bible here says it does not agree with the teaching that accords with godliness. False and unhealthy doctrine does not produce godliness. It can't. Think about this logically. How could something that misrepresents God possibly produce accurately in you the character of God? It can't. That's why those people that run around and go, well, you know, my, my God, he doesn't get angry. My, my God, he, he doesn't send anyone to hell. My God doesn't judge. Well, the problem is they, my God is an idol that they've created. They may be using the acronym or the word, you know, uh, Yahweh, but it's a different God. It's not the same. So they're misrepresent. So what does that produce in their life? A lack of discernment? A lack of ability to see that some things are right and wrong? A lack of passion about getting the gospel to people because they know judgment's coming? It produces a lack of interest in missions and evangelism? A lack of concern about discipling other people? There's just total lack of concern about what God has put the church here to do. Why? Because their doctrine is wrong. And so when they allow that to happen, then it produces a different kind of living. And it's not godliness that they have. It may be politeness. It may be acceptability. It may be that they're, they're cordial. All those things you think makes a Christian, but really just means a polite neighbor. I mean, we're not trying to produce Mr. Rogers here. We're trying to get Christ-likeness. And so the, if you have this wrong, then it's going to come out wrong. So any old thing about Jesus is not the rule that we're talking about here. So we're talking about the word of Christ. We're not just saying any old thing people say about Jesus makes it Jesus-like or it's about Jesus. Well, we're studying Jesus there. No. Does what we're saying about Jesus match Agree with the overarching doctrine of the Bible about Christ. Who he is, what he's like, what his nature's like, that he's coming again. Does it match those things about him? So you have to make it align with that. If it doesn't, flee, run. Every cult talks about Jesus. So you, you can't stay there. So th it's not just any old thing. It's truth centered upon Christ as presented in the Bible. And that is what will produce Christ-like living in our lives. That's what truth does. 
Falsehood does the opposite. So the content of unhealthy teaching, he points it out in verse 3. There's you a rule to go by. There's you a guideline. No one can know everything in the Bible. But you can have a general principle here that will guide you. Is what they're teaching, is it in alignment with all that I know about Christ and the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, the message of Jesus and what the Bible says about him? Does what they're saying align with that? Secondly, is it producing godliness? Not wealthiness, godliness is it producing. And so the content of unhealthy teaching. Then look at this. He says, now, here's the character of unhealthy teachers. What do they look like? So in verse 4, we'll just get the first two parts of it. He says, um, those that teach this different doctrine, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. So the character of unhealthy teachers is pointed out here. There is, they have pride in trivial knowledge. Notice he is puffed up. These people chase the trivial. They chase and, and pursue the obscure. They're always after some kind of marginal information. They like to master the pointless stuff and then going or, go around among God's people and try to prove their superior intelligence. Have you ever known people like that? They're always trying to find some obscure stuff in the Bible and become an expert in that. And then go around and make people feel like you don't know the Bible if you don't know these things. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be flat honest with you. I cannot keep in order the kings of Judah. Mix them up all the time. And, and, and I'm sure that every once in a while I put one of them over in northern kingdom and totally mess that up too. So, you know, I just say, well, I'll just look it up in the Bible on that. That is historic information. It's important, but it's not central. For me to be able to go around and spout that off to everybody, well, he really knows his Bible. Really, though. Really. Because I'm able to line a bunch of historical facts in order, does that mean I really know the Bible? What Paul is pointing out here is that there are people that master some kinds of information from the Scriptures... And go around saying, and he's, what, what does he say about them? They know nothing. They don't know anything. In other words, what they do know is absolutely worthless. They don't understand. They know some things intellectually, but they understand nothing. There are people like that. They know biblical information, but they understand nothing. Let me give you an example. This is from, I read this about some Jewish scholars. They were arguing this point. Is it permitted to throw away the pits of a date on the Sabbath? You know, because on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to be working, right? According to the old covenant, no work on Sabbath. So one person said, one scholar said, that it's work to get up and throw them away. If you're eating dates and you have to spit the, you know, the pits out, it's, it's work if you get up. And throw them away. So you can't do that. Another one said then you can just drop them on the floor. That's not work. Just drop them on the floor. But a third person said. If you put your hand in your mouth to get them out and throw them on the floor. That's still working. So you just have to kind of let them drop out of your mouth and fall on the floor. That's the only way that you can be pleasing to God. And, and I mean you need to go buy some Tide to get that off your clothes later. But we'll worry about that on the next day. Right? So. These are the kinds of trivial things. Somebody said that 
teachers like this are novelty teachers and hair splitters. Let me warn you about something. Don't find anything new. Do not have the arrogance to think that you're going to discover some new spiritual truth that the scholars from the last 2,000 years just couldn't bring themselves to find. You're not going to. Stop looking for it. Teach the message of Christ. Teach that. Teach what you know. Teach what makes a difference in people's lives because people that do this kind of thing, they become puffed up, the Bible says. Do you see that? Now, this word can refer to being blinded by mist or smoke, having a hazy state of mind. It can also mean to be swollen. Where I'm from, they call swole. You swole. One Puritan writer said this, Swelling is a dangerous symptom in the body, but much more in the soul. Always be careful not to study the scriptures to gain obscure knowledge in order to try to show yourself to be clever. The person who does that will end up with cloudy thinking and in reality not really know the word of God. These people pride themselves in trivial knowledge. Also, they have a passion for controversy. Notice they have an unhealthy craving for controversy. Some people just love controversy. Have you ever noticed that? They just love it. You know why they do that? It's the only context in which they can gain attention. Sometimes you'll have that with church folks. A business meeting rolls around. Oh boy. You know what it is? They're just trying to gain attention. I'm like, what unmet need was there in your childhood that brings you to act this way? Are you ever going to grow up? Now, I want to say this about our church. We don't have that here. And we're not going to. I, I don't, I, I'm going to take, I, I would take Roberts and his rules and choke him with it before I let God's people act in an ungodly way. We're just not going to. And I've had words with some folks and, well, they didn't like having words and they went on. But you're not going to do that here. I don't care who you think you are. You're not doing that here. You're not doing that to God's people. They didn't come here for that. They're not here to give you an audience for you to show yourself. And so those people that love controversy, there's a problem there. Some people just love it. Now, is there a time to stand up for the truth of the Bible? Yes. And as I said earlier, the workplace is not really that. That's not what you do. You stand up for Jesus there. Right? You stand up for the gospel. But for all the rest of the theology, you need to wait until they come to know Jesus before you work that out with them. So the gospel is what's needed there. So don't let people draw you into that controversy. What they need is the gospel. In the church area, though, in this what we call the church world, make sure of this, that all of your teaching points to the glory of God, that your teaching builds up God's people in the faith, and that your teaching encourages God's people to prayer. And that your teaching increases the zeal for Jesus Christ. And for a willingness and a desire to live a life of holiness by the power of the Spirit of God. That's what you're to promote among God's people. Some people try to produce a false unity by avoiding the truth. That's a human unity. 
God's kind of unity is never established by ignoring the truth, no matter how much the truth may divide. Just because a person or group wants to wear the label of Christian does not obligate me, does not obligate you or us to hide truth in order to play nice. I don't play nice. Not when people are going to run roughshod over the major doctrines of the Bible. I'm just not going to. Now, you may think, wow, he is a mean guy. Let me tell you the story about St. Nicholas. Y'all want to hear it? Many of you are Santa Claus fans. You want to know the real Santa Claus? Let me give you the real Santa Claus. Council of Nicaea, 325 AD. Constantine called this council together. 300 bishops showed up. St. Nicholas was one of those bishops. The controversy was the Arian controversy where Arius was claiming that Jesus Christ was not God, that he was merely a man. And so he stood up in the council of Nicaea and, he, and this council was supposed to decide what does the Bible say about the nature of Christ. Well, St. Nicholas was there. And so Arius stood up and began to explain how Jesus was not deity, he was not God, that he was merely a man. The other 298 bishops sat there with patience listening. Santa Claus had had enough of it. And jolly old Saint Nick jumped up and smacked Arius across the face. Now, from now on around here, if I hear you teaching something falsely, I'm going to sing to you, Santa Claus is coming to town. Okay? All right? Now, St. Nick did later apologize because a bishop really shouldn't act that way. But the end result was this. The Council of Nicaea labeled Arius rightly as a heretic and affirmed the deity of Jesus is what the Bible truly teaches. And we have the Nicene Creed that we still use in churches today. Thank you, Santa Claus. Now, those of you that teach your children about Santa Claus, you need to ditch the present thing and you need to bring forth the smack across the face thing to heretics. Okay, so this coming Christmas, I want to see all over your trees... I want to see a picture of St. Nick coming at Arius with a smack. I want to see it on your trees now. Wrapping paper. Get some wrapping paper that has it, okay? We need to get the truth out. So you're like, that's terrible. You just crushed my child's soul. Well, you've been lying, so I just told the truth. So who's at fault here? Some people are more St. Nick-like than others. I'm not advocating violence. But for the love of God, could we at least show a little passion for truth? Could we at least be a little intolerant? It's not up to each individual to validate their own personal belief and call it their truth. That's stupid. We must align ourselves with what the scripture says. That's what truth is. Sometimes there is controversy because people refuse to bow to the truth. We're talking about those who are professing Christians. We're not talking about people in the world out there. The issue is this. Some things are much more dangerous than a simple slap on the face. Thank you, Santa Claus, for the illustration. 
He never made it down a chimney, but man, he will come across a table. The character of unhealthy teachers. We got to finish this up. Um, I have, I don't know if you notice this, I have more fun with the truth than you guys have with all the fantasy stuff from Disney. I really do. I would just say put more time in the truth. It's much more entertaining. You wouldn't believe. Okay, so just saying. Now, what are the consequences, though? What are the consequences of unhealthy teaching? Um, so if you look at the last part of verse 4 and then verse 5, it says, um, which produce envy, dissension, slander, even, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So there's conflict in relationships. It says produce envy and so on. So you have this whole laundry list of messed up relationships that take place when false teaching abounds. And you'll always notice that. It gets into a church. Then there's all kinds of conflict, all kinds of controversy. People get hurt. People's spiritual lives get off track and so on and so forth. So there's a conflict in relationships. Truth may create division, but it doesn't create conflict. Conflict is an ongoing relationship problem, and it can't be solved. Conflicts caused by those who will not bow to the truth. Then it also produces this. What are the other, the other consequence of unhealthy teaching? There is the corruption of the mind. It says in verse 5, they're depraved in mind and deprived of truth. And they're imagining something. They're imagining that, um, that godliness is a means of gain. That's your prosperity gospel right there in a nutshell, which Joe will preach about next week. Just put him on the spot. Corruption of the mind. So... Notice here that they're depraved in mind, that is, they're absent of the ability to understand the Scripture. The Scripture is not an intellectual thing primarily. You should use your intellect, you should use your mind. But understanding and grasping it is a spiritual thing. And when someone gets off on other things that are not true to the faith, not true to the scriptures, and they begin to dwell on those other things, then they lose the ability to actually understand what the scripture is saying. And Paul is pointing out that these people evidently do not know Christ at all because their mind is corrupted and they are absolutely deprived of truth. And they imagine something that they can use their false godliness as a means of gain. What would Santa Claus do to the prosperity gospel preachers of our day? Well, he'd go down to Houston first of all and smack somebody. He'd be on a smacking tour. Well, I don't want to defame St. Nick too far, but I do kind of like him. So, the consequences, there are consequences. COVID is not going to cause you to have hatred well up in your heart towards someone. COVID is not going to cause you to get so spiritually off track that you can't find your way back to Christ. COVID is not going to send people to hell. COVID can kill somebody physically, but it's not what sends people to hell. Do you know what does? False teaching. It's the undetected but most dangerous issue in our world today. COVID can ruin your body. 
but it can't destroy your soul. False doctrine can. COVID may reduce the number of people that attend worship service, but it's not going to destroy the church. False teaching can. COVID can't make you think wrongly about God, but false teaching can. COVID is not going to cause you to reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. But false teaching can. I would say to you that according to the scriptures, false teaching is the number one most dangerous issue that you have to face in your life today. Study up on that. Less time on the internet about COVID. More time in the scriptures about Jesus. That would be my prescription from the doctor today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us the truth. Lord, um, how it, it is so appropriate that today we were singing prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. It's so easy for us to get our mind, our heart, our passion on other things. It's so easy to let the needs of the present press so deeply upon our souls that it becomes our all-consuming thought and crowd out all of the things about Christ that we should be thinking on. And your word even reminds us to set our minds, not on things of this world, but in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, I pray that in these days that we would begin to see the world through theological eyes, begin to see ourselves through biblical, a biblical lens to see the problems in our own lives, our own families, in our own community through the lens of theology. Not sociology, but theology. What you have said. Father, give our people a heart's desire to study and to know who you are, what you've done, why and how, and what you're like. May you ignite in each of us a thirst that cannot be quenched except through the momentary study of the Word of God and we're always wanting more and more and more. Would you put that in our hearts and lives today, Lord? It's the only thing that will anchor our souls in uncertain times. I pray, Father, for that person here today, man or woman, boy or girl, that has not yet submitted their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. They have not yet given up and given over to Christ still trying to rule their own lives the way they think it's right, trying to add a little Jesus on to make themselves look respectable, and you'll have none of it. Jesus, you have said to us that we must give up our lives. If anyone would come after you, let him deny himself, take up his cross, the old life to die, and to begin to follow you. I pray for those here today, Father, that have never started doing that, that you'd work in a mighty way in their hearts. Let them know the oughtness of it. That they must be born again. They must turn their life over to Christ. They must trust upon him. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.